This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Camera. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? How do you define success? Well, Nadine, we have a great show this week. Uh, we're going to be having shortly Kevin Snyder at the Pacific Justice Institute. And he's going to tell about some of the, the recent cases that they've been fighting for and protecting the rights of individuals. I look forward to hearing from him. I understand Pacific Justice Institute has done quite a bit of uh, interesting um, work in the favor uh, of, re- of rights for citizens. And then we have, we're going to have a guest uh, later on, Ron Cohen. Ron is a, a partner of mine, and uh, he wrote a, a letter to the IRS Commissioner, Doug Shulman, recently. And it was a very interesting response, uh, you know, in terms about the IRS was trying to encroach on the rights of uh, the, the taxpayers and their right to be represented. And so Ron, Ron fight back. It made... Uh, you know, the, the national headlines of Forbes, and uh, we'll be hearing about his story. Wow, that sounds very good. It looks like the IRS is, well, our our government needs money, so it looks like they're all cracking down, aren't they, Alan? You would know more about that, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we, we live in a day and age when, um, obviously, they're they're trying to balance budgets and close tax gaps, and, and they're looking for, how do we how do we do this? I had a person show up to my office yesterday and uh you know they were just living their life out w-2 wage earner and uh you know shows up and says how do i get rid of this amt tax (laughs) (laughs) and they said oh you found it (laughs) (laughs) and uh i just had to politely explain i said you know there's not much that can be done if your if your profile fits that of a regular you know individual earning their their w-2 wage and own a home and you know pay your property tax and uh, you know the government ends up taking about out a higher percentage of your income. Yeah, overall. you're gonna have to tell him to start a business on the side and maybe he can find some good deductions there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, just trying to live life out in this economy is, yes. is enough of a challenge. But uh, but I like to I like to move into uh, just a, a leadership moment here, and that is about developing leadership qualities. Alan, if an individual wants to develop these kind of qualities, where do you suggest they start? Hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, If you ever wonder where the good leaders come from, you know, are they are they born or they developed? And you look back in history, you can see uh, there's a couple of people that stand out. You know, you have uh, the Joan of Arc and. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln fought for the rights of individuals in this country. And, uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, you know, have, have put down legendary uh, roles that they played um, throughout their life. None of them really became rich or wealthy from, you know, what they represented, but they had a passion for the path that they were following. So, uh, What are some key qualities that you might... Um, if 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 a develop if someone isn't quite a, a natural born leader, uh, and they wanted to develop these leadership qualities, what would you suggest some of the qualities that they should develop? I, well, first of all, I think every one of us has something to contribute. We all think differently. We walk this planet. We interact with other people, and every one of us has our own strengths and our own weaknesses. And sometimes we may not understand what those are. We may look at other individuals and say, well, look at this person over here, and they're good at this, and this person's good at that. But what am I good at? And, uh, you know, for the individuals that are asking the questions and seeking that direction in life, I say, you know, there's something within you that needs to come out. 
and there's there's something that you have a passion for. So understanding what that what that attribute is sometimes takes a little bit of self-development, talking to others, uh, practicing different roles, walking different paths, and eventually you'll find out within yourself who you are and uh, how you can best apply the gifts that you have. So, but there's six steps I came up with. Okay, okay. why don't you give us the six steps? Step. Okay, so key qualities. Um, the key qualities of an individual can work on, first of all, integrity. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. Excellent. You know, leaders are trusted. Um, they're trusted by those who are around them. They're people that you know you can rely on. Integrity isn't innate. It needs to be developed. So integrity is the first area that I look at. The higher level that of trust you have within an organization, the more likely that organization is to succeed. Right. I don't know if you've ever been around individuals that every time you turn around and you know, certain persons out of the room, they're, they're, they're trying to take the other person down. Right. Um, and that's someone you don't want to do business with it, or, uh, or to, that's the, it lessens uh, leadership skills. Well, it, and, and again, I think the person hearing it, they, they draw their own opinions and own conclusions, but you know, the, the leader takes the high road in that case. So, um, the other thing a leader needs to be is they, they need to be enthusiastic Leaders will not just sit on the sidelines and grudgingly do their work. Their excitement and passion for what they are doing is genuine, and it motivates others around them to want to do their very best. Right. They have to roll up their sleeves and be in the front, just like in a war, right? You know, you see these movies with the, with the leader of the, of the army right out in front on his horse leading his troops, and that's, it, it gives you an idea when they go to battles. It's the same as when they do it in other things. Okay. Roll you, up your sleeves and join in. There was a there's a saying in high school. I remember one of our coaches says, "When the going gets tough, the leader gets going." <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you you got to stand up, stand firm, stand your ground. So, be confident is the third one. Be confident in your own abilities. A confident demeanor will make others desire to follow you. Excellent. That's it. Confidence is something that I notice le- all leaders have. All leaders have. You can't have any. Um, well, especially, it, you might not be confident in everything, but in what you're doing, it, whatever you're leading, uh, whether it be uh, you're, you're organizing a, a group benefit of some kind where you're doing fundraising, then you're confident in your fundraising skills, or if you're, whatever it is, it might not be over everything. It's what's your forte. Okay. Fourth area is be firm in your actions. In times of uncertainties, leaders will be calm and not let their actions bring into questions the stability of their role as a leader. So you need to be firm in your actions and in your direction. Right. If you're trying to get others to follow you, you better make sure that you understand the direction that you're going yourself. And uh, and, and when people understand that this individual has a, a clear path and a clear direction, um, others will sign up. They may sign up in varying degrees, but they'll sign up. Right, right. I've I've told my son, um, who will eventually be a section leader in his section of trumpet players in the marching band. And I said, you know, you have to make sure um, that you're confident and you're calm, but also you lead with honey. Bees don't, uh, you attract bees with honey and not vinegar, is what I, I always tell him. So, so make sure that 
you get everybody motivated and excited to follow rather than telling them what to do like a drill sergeant. People won't follow you that way. They, they'll, they'll turn away. So you have to be confident, calm, and firm. But firm I, there. I, I love that. Also, the analogy with the bee of uh, leading him with honey, you know, sweet stuff rather than uh, vinegar. Exactly, so. exactly. So uh, being calm when decisions aren't clear, uh, you know, the, the leader, a lot of people will panic. They'll look for the individual. What are we supposed to do now? Good leaders don't let uncertainty stop or hinder themselves. Um, they'll look at the situation around them. I mean, the same facts could be laid out for everyone in the room. And um, But the leader will step up and he'll say, you know, even though it's unclear at this time how the situation may end, you know, we're going to be confident in the direction that we're going to go. Excellent. And what's your last topic there, Alan? Focus on your goals. Where do you want to end up? What's your vision? What's your vision? Leaders have a vision, and they're determined to reach that vision. They know where they want to be and when they want to arrive there. So they just they, they want to focus on the vision and moving and leading into the future. Yeah. You have uh, mentioned focusing on goals quite a bit on our radio program and given a lot of insight on how leaders can actually put make a plan of action and put that that plan into action. I got some exciting news. This week I uh, you know so when my wife and I got married we we went to the end of life and you know forecast and what's it going to be like and we said well we're in our mid 80s uh you were not going to take anything with us and uh, so we decided our life would not be about the material things but it would be about the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> so we had seven kids hoping for more grandkids and this summer I'm going to have three grandkids born in the same month. Wonderful! Congratulations. <laughs> then you put that, you've placed that goal into action. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited. But but uh, Nadine, we uh, we got to take a quick break here. We're going to be having um, come on Kevin Schneider, the Pacific Justice Institute. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. We have with us Kevin Schneider, Chief Legal Counsel, the Pacific. Justice Institute with us today. Um, Kevin, can you tell us what your organization does? Uh, be delighted to, and, and, and I'm glad to be with you today, Alan. Um, Pacific Justice Institute provides uh, free legal services uh, primarily to the faith community, but uh, to others as well on First Amendment issues. And we do this, again, without charge, and we are a public interest organization. Wow. So you're, you're there fighting for the little guy. Uh, we'd like to think so. Well, now, what is your specific role in the organization? I am a chief counsel, and that uh, entails, of course, uh, supervising our, our small team of in-house attorneys. And we have about 1,000 uh, volunteer attorneys across the country, 500 of which are, are in California. Well, bipenned in California. Maybe that's saying something about California, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Stacking the deck out here on the West Coast. Um, how long has the organization been around for? We've been in business since 1997, and I've been with the organization since October of 2004. So Pacific Justice Institute, and how do they find you? Go to PJI. That's PJI.org. Okay, PJI.org. All right. Now, I understand your national organization is also headed by uh, Edwin Meese, who uh, was a former attorney general under uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, is currently the national chairman. And 
you have offices throughout the U.S. Uh, actually, we have uh, we have attor- volunteer attorneys throughout the U.S., but our offices uh, are primarily in California, um, Sacramento, oh, here in the Bay, Oakland, uh, down in Orange County, in Riverside, and San Diego. So what made you want to be involved with the organization here, Kevin? Well, I've been involved in civil rights uh, litigation for 17 years, and this is uh, right up my alley. Uh, uh, they primarily invo- in, engage in uh, religious liberties. My father was a, a, a small pre- small-time preacher, and so this was uh, kind of something that, that – uh, Suits my fancy. Can citizens uh, bring uh, something to you that that they disagree with, how they've been wronged, and have are you able to help them? Uh, if it's within our scope, it is. We look at uh, we look at uh, cases, analyze them, see if one uh, has there been a wrong. Not ev- and then secondly, if there is a remedy. Not every wrong has a legal remedy, unfortunately. But then we but we do uh, give a fair look at everything. How does your firm handle it? I mean, uh, would you uh, create a lawsuit against them, or how, what were the steps that you would take? Primarily, uh, when you have a, a violation of a civil right, the government is the bad guy in, in the situation, uh, and with that, we we l- research the law. We go usually to try to handle things at what's called an administrative level. You go to the city council. You go to the school board. Uh, we write what we call love letters to them we where we explain the law and why they're if they don't change their actions we we are willing to go to court to help them obey the laws and so uh probably 90% far over 90% of our cases we're able to resolve at that administrative level but there are occasions where we do need to go to court who's the biggest culprit i mean who you you working with Mostly on these uh, defending your rights, uh, public school districts. Wow. Uh, people say that. Ask sometimes ask me what I do. I say, well, I school I sue school districts. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I know every. Uh, you know, when my son was in the sixth grade. There had been a uh, traditional Christmas play every year, and they had a new principal come in, and and they said you you cannot use the word Christmas, and. You know, my wife said, what? This has been going on for years. Well, no, we decide you cannot use that word in school. Use and call it a Christmas play. And uh, she says, well, what do we call it? She said, we're just not going to have one. And uh, so she got involved with the school. She wrote to the administration, and and it was an interesting process. Uh, They really stonewalled her. Um, I think they might have even called your organization to, think to they draft did. a letter. I think they did. Mm-hmm. Could, could be. We have so many. Uh, don't 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 catch me on the name, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, so basically, you're out there trying to protect the rights of the individual uh, who may not always have the means to defend themselves, but uh, but when they're going against government organizations or organized groups, uh, your organization helps to bring things to light. Yeah, that's uh, precisely what we do. And you, and you represent them for free. How does your how does your firm or your organization able to represent them for free? Uh, that's a great question. We do it through generous donations, um, oftentimes of you know five, ten, twenty five dollars, and occasionally we'll get someone who'll pitch in some more. But we're a nonprofit, five hundred one c three, and so people uh, give a tax deductible 
contribution to us. So, Kevin, when when you get involved and they see, oh, this is an attorney or legal organization, do people generally just roll over and say, "Well, wait, we were just joking. We'll we'll back off," or what? You know, how how aggressively do they position against? You have a. Uh, a quite the gamut. You have some, some are extremely reasonable and say, yeah, we, you caught us. We, we made a mistake. We didn't understand this was the state of the law. And, um, uh, and that makes it quite easy. And oftentimes we will, will, uh, laud these government agencies and, and, um, and officials because they've, they've, they've seen, um, seen, uh, the error and, and rectified it. Other times there is a, a full court Press uh, and they engage in a nuclear option and and uh, go go to court and you, you could be in court for years and years and years on things. Do you feel that overall there's there's kind of an underlying premise that they're trying to take away freedom of religion? Uh, yes, I think part of that is a a a misunderstanding of the legal concept of separation of church and state. For example, we had a a, a student in San Diego who um, uh, would share his faith and carry his Bible to school and whatnot, and, the, um, and a vice principal told him, you can't talk to other people about your faith, and, you, and by the way, you can't take your Bible to school, and they suspended him for two days. We, and, he, and he cited the separation of church and state. Our position was, yes, there was a violation of separation of church and state, and that occurred when the vice principal told him, you can't carry a book of your choosing on your on your person, which was the Bible, and you can't uh, express your views. Yes, that was a violation of the separation of church and state. And by the way, the school district was the violator, and we went to court and settled the case. Wow. You know, I had a, uh, I don't know if your organization got involved with this, so I'm a big advocate of, of scouting. And there was an individual who was, uh, you know, they have their, their model, like, you know, God, anyways, the word God was used right. in this, and they, uh, they they brought up the legal uh, statement that says you, know, you can't make my kids say God. You know we're agnostic or atheist, and they took this all the way up. I don't know if, if it reached the Supreme Court or it was that a did, big case. Uh, go to court. Yes. What, what, were you guys involved with that? Uh, we were not. I I think we uh, filed an amicus brief, called a friend of the court brief, on on that, and we've been involved in those those cases. So yes, we've uh, uh, scouts are are. Um, often the target of of hostile activities by government. Did, did they win that case? Is it because they're a private organization, a private club, that they were, were they able to win it? Or Yes. What has happened is the um, Supreme Court has stated that under the First Amendment, you have a right of association. You don't have to – you could exclude people. That may seem uh, to some – mean but but that's we choose our friends we choose uh, our business partners um we choose whom whom we marry uh we don't choose our kids but but uh, <laughs> nonetheless uh that that is a fundamental right uh and so based on that they said the scouts won mm-hmm. great well that's good yeah, yeah I, I guess it's always good to know that you got to stay prepared and uh and out there defending your rights, and and it's good to know that there's organizations such as yours uh, that can help, but they don't know where else to turn. Do you have like a hotline or something people can call, or how do they contact? If you're you? in the Bay Area, call our Oakland office. We're uh, over in on off of Ninth Street on the edge of Chinatown near the uh, California Museum, and that's a five ten eight three. 
734-7232. Kevin Snyder is the Chief Legal Counsel at the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, we have to take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. We're here with Kevin Schneider. He's the Chief Legal Counsel of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, Kevin, I understand last week that your organization made the front page of the Wall Street Journal in a case that they recently won. Um, can you tell me, or, or maybe it's an ongoing case, but can you tell me some of the background of this case and what's going on here? Yes, it was a church in San Leandro, a four-square church called Faith Fellowship. They grew from around 65 to getting pushing 2,000, so they ran out of space. They bought a building in an industrial area, and uh, and the s- city of San Leandro would not let them use it for religious assembly, although they would allow uh, entertainment assembly there. So in other words, you could put a boxing ring with a 1,000 people around it, uh, but you couldn't have – and that would be okay, but you couldn't have a church with a 1,000 people seating in in a, a platform. Uh, so uh, we lost in the trial court, took it up to the Ninth Circuit, got a reversal. The other side uh, filed a petition to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they denied uh, that petition. And so now uh, we're back to the uh, trial court. It's been going on several, three, four years, and the city has spent probably uh, $600,000, I believe the newspaper reported, on attorney's fees so far. $600,000 of the public's Tax dollars. Well, it's other other people's money, so it, other, it's, it makes it easy. Oh my gosh! You know, it's amazing with the budget crisis that we have coming in. And I just like to, you know, just you know, spell out right here that uh, that you know we live in a country in which freedom of expression and speech is important, uh, especially you know between what the government. The government's role is and and what we our rights as individuals and uh you know having an organization such as yourself to defend you know what premise we're built upon is is really um is really needed in this time you you said it's been going on for about four years do do cases typically take this long or what's the typical length of time for a case in this nature of this nature yes this is a um, this is quite an involved case these things are um uh, very fact sensitive. The law is very unsettled on it. Uh, so um, yes, they will take quite quite a bit of time. No question. Now you you mentioned that this in this case it happens to be a, a Christian based organization. Yes. Do you represent all faiths or what? We, we yeah we have represented um, of course Jews and Sikhs. Uh, we one of our cases against a school district uh, had uh, I think eighteen parents, but the lead plaintiff was the wife of the local imam, and so. Uh, yeah, we we represent other faiths. Um, most of our clientele are Christians, um, but uh, but yes, we have represented many many faiths. So, with this organization, really, you're helping people to to do is you're helping to defend the right of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and uh, and and not necessarily have the government encroaching on what a person needs to say or do, and and uh, so people can live their lives out. Yes, that's our first uh, free. First liberty is, of course, in the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Excellent. What other? Uh, what are some of the other cases that you have won in the past? Well, uh, some of our uh, high-profile cases, we defended uh, the national motto um, "In God We Trust." That was uh, there was a lawsuit to take that off of uh, our coinage. Uh, we intervened uh, with the Department of Justice, and that went. Uh, 
uh, that was a case that took uh, quite some time, and uh, we we got a um, we won in the trial court and the Ninth Circuit, and so hence your money still has in God we trust on it. Uh, we also uh, represented um, uh, Reverend uh, Rick Warren and Re- Reverend Joe Lowry, who gave the invocation and benediction at the President Obama's inauguration. They were personally sued along with the Chief Justice by Michael Newdow. Um, uh, for that, and uh, so we represented them, and that was successful over in Washington D.C. We also represented um, uh, a school there. For, now, let ahead. me back up here. Uh, <laughs> it's almost they, they have a person say a prayer at the presidential inauguration. Obama's everyone's yeah. president, and and they get sued. Yes, uh, and they've uh, tried this lawsuit. Um, Several times. This time, uh, Michael Newdow was the, and, and I like Michael personally. Um, he's a he's a colleague, um, but he and he's very passionate about what he believes. Um, but uh, he, along with, um, I think it was around two hundred um, atheists and agnostics and humanists, and uh, probably uh, a couple dozen of those types of organizations together filed a lawsuit uh, to try to prevent that. They w- also want the. Uh, uh, Chief Justice to not say uh, have um, direct uh, President Obama to say so help me God and the president said that I want that in my oath and so uh, well, the Chief Justice obliged that. So so um, do you think that there's going to I know Congress opens sessions with prayer they have a a, a pastor. That, yes. that is uh, in Congress. Do you think there are going to be attacks on this? Are they going to be starting to wipe off all references of God on on some of our 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 um, um, in Washington D.C. We have a lot of buildings and things that have references to God or statues. Mm-hmm. Are they all go- going to be wiped off? No, I well, I think there's going to be challenges. I think they're going to continue to be unsuccessful. Um, two weeks after the First Amendment was passed in Congress and then sent to the states for ratification, the uh, Senate um, hired a chaplain. And so the people who actually wrote the First Amendment did not think it was inconsistent with that law to have uh, a Senate chaplain. But I do think you're right that that you're going to see more attacks on it. We're seeing um, a lot of attacks from the Freedom from from Religion Foundation against city councils and whatnot for opening with invocations. So so that might spread up to our congressional arena? Um, I, I think – well, the law is fairly, fairly well established, but they keep trying it. They, they, are, they were successful, believe it or not, with, a, um, with some school districts in California on preventing uh, invocations at school board meetings. Um, and it, it, it calls to question if, if the Supreme Court says it's legal for a legislature – to open with prayer, why couldn't a a school board, which is a mini legislature? Interesting. Um, and and don't some of these school boards have? A, I mean, it's not just one faith that they invite. Don't they invite various faiths to op- do invocations? Yeah, particularly here in California. You know, if you're in the Midwest or South, yeah, you're going to have almost all of them are going to be Christian. But if you have the East Coast, you're going to have. There's a large Jewish population on the here on the West Coast. You'd have primarily Christians, but you're also going to have imams and rabbis and Sikhs and, um, and different different faith groups represented. 
What what what's driving this? In other words, I I, I think it's my opinion that atheism is a form of religion, or you know, under the under the case law, it is yes. So 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 really, it gets down to be one person imposing their values upon another person. Then. It's it's picking and choosing winners among religious beliefs, and um, what I think what is driving this is that there was um, the. Um, the U.S. started – is kind of the child of the Enlightenment, but there were two branches of it. One was a moderate branch, the British branch, which wanted to incorporate religion, and then there was the radical French branch in which, um, of course, as you know, the French Revolution was the was the beta run for the Bolshevik Revolution. And so there's a lot of people who are atheists and humanists who have a level of discomfort with the theistic roots that we have and they want to go towards this radical enlightenment uh, view of the French Revolution. That's kind of where that's at. Wow. So this this really goes back into the early days of our country. It really foundation. does. So um, with the recent wins and, and uh, you know, do, do you feel that we're winning the war in terms of protecting the rights of the individual, or do you feel that there's more and more people coming after the rights of others? I think that we are in I'll, – I'll not kid you. Uh, I'm not a, a salesman. I, I, People hire me to be the adult in the room and tell, them, tell it like it is. I think we're going to be seeing increased attacks on this, and the jury is still out, to use a legal term, as to if we're going to win or lose. And I think we have to uh, take uh, these, these, uh, this opposition seriously. And uh, stand our ground for First Amendment rights. You know, it's interesting. Even you can go further to the Occupy. You know, and I guess where was it? Uh, UC Davis earlier this week. The pepper spray on the students. Mm-hmm. They were just innocently sitting down, trying to make a statement of this is how they felt about the direction our economy is going. And police officers, not one but two, just pepper sprays the the group there. Yeah, there's um, uh, there's with the Occupy movement. Um, Obviously, I've been my the Occupy Oakland was 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 in near my office, and I went down there to see what's going on. And there, it's a mixed bag. Some of their First Amendment rights, I think, uh, I think they are legitimately exercising. I think people have absolutely the right to speak out and and march and protest. Um, I disagree with them in the in the in the judge in Sacramento has disagreed you don't have the right to be a squatter or to camp out or to stop traffic or stop business for example in uh, in Los Angeles they're they're asking to shut down all of the ports in California um, and you, that's not a first amendment oh right? I, I I definitely and I you know I didn't mean to infer on on that but I definitely agree that you have a first amendment right but you don't have the right to impose upon the rights of other people yeah, has absolutely. to be kept within a certain boundary there yeah it's usually permits are obtained when when uh protests are done they go to cities and they get permits i think they made a special exception for the occupy protesters so we've been visiting here with uh, kevin schneider at the pacific justice institute kevin it's a pleasure having you with us today and one more time how do they contact you go to pji.org pji.org click request assistance and um, tell type out what you want to what you want us to look at and kevin is also their their firm is in need of contributions right to help support this fight yeah i need to pay my light bill and so yeah that'd be <laughs> great thanks a lot kevin we'll be right back after these messages 
Welcome back. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams. We've been talking about legal issues today and defending your rights. Um, I have on the phone Ron Cohen. Ron's a partner with Greenstone Rogoff Olson Company, and he was recently featured in Forbes magazine over a legal issue that he uh, he brought to the attention of the IRS. Ron, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for the opportunity. Come on today. Appreciate it. So, Ron, I understand that you were dealing with a uh, Form 4809, a letter that was sent to you from the IRS. Can you give us some background what's going on here? Yeah, the uh, IRS has set up a new department to try to keep track and monitor tax preparers. And they're going through various steps, like having us all sign up for a tax preparer's identification number. And then they're doing certain computer tests to uh, try to make sure that they can, preparers are doing a good job in protecting the IRS and protecting taxpayers, getting good tax returns filed. So they've been uh, moving forward on that. And, and first, I, I should say, you know, the IRS uh, collects over $2 trillion every year. That's $2 trillion. And uh, one by one, taxpayer by taxpayer, and it has a, a, a huge uh, obligation and job to do. And that, quite frankly, of course, none of your listeners or our clients are this way, but there are a lot of people out there who do blatantly wrong things. So they have a job to do to try to uh, get returns prepared correctly and, and make sure preparers are doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm not but, sure. I, 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 we might have some high-powered listeners out there, Ron, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock that off. But anyways, I'm very interesting. So, so, so anyways, you got a form in the mail then? Yeah, so I've got a, a form uh, that, that said that uh, they had looked at a number of the returns that uh, I'd prepared, and their statistics said that, that potentially um, I had misapplied some of the rules and there were various inaccuracies. And the threat was that uh, some percentage of the people, of the 21,000 people who received this letter, would be visited by the IRS, and uh, they might uh, do some educating or have some questions. Wow, that uh, sounds like a real threat. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, to I, your one, firm. I'll just you one sentence here. It said, enclosed documents addresses some of the income tax issues. Our review suggests you may have misunderstood or misinterpreted. Please review the information carefully. Whoa. Right. So when you got the notice, did you feel that it was kind of a personal attack on you as a preparer who was trying to make an honest living and, and do your job? Oh, well, well um, yes, I, uh, I, I, I did because, uh, you know, uh, we work very long and hard to get things right. And, and uh, they have to address us with specific issues, with specific taxpayer situations. They're not allowed to send out blanket um, um, kind of blanket uh, uh, um, suspect letters like that. So, so basically, what in, in short, the IRS sent out a letter that it was inferring a threatening situation that they didn't feel that you were doing your job properly. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, and threatened to come visit my office with without using any type of um, client or situation to where they can look to it and say, "Well, here's our evidence." They they've just uh, came after you, basically, uh, against your character, it sounds. Well, how, how many of these letters went out, Ron? Uh, 21,000. 21,000. Wow. So they, they put a 21,000, you know, f to, to 21,000 tax affairs, a form letter out saying, 
we're going to come visit you because you may have done something wrong. How, how did you how did you handle that, Ron? So uh, after I calmed down and I showed the letter to my wife, and she got a little nervous and said, "What's all this about?" <laughs> and I said, "I uh, I wrote back uh, the commissioner uh, a letter." And I told him basically that I didn't take kindly to receiving a letter with uh, that type of accusation. Uh, we look, work long and hard to do the right thing. And uh, if they wanted to come and visit me, um, I don't know what we'd discuss because we're not allowed to give uh, anybody any confidential information without a specific audit of a specific taxpayer, pay, uh, of a specific taxpayer for a specific year. And if they're not going to open up any audits uh, but just want to come in and talk, uh, I wasn't going to be talking about anything, and uh, me and the IRS agent would probably just stare at each other for an hour. <laughs> so I was pretty, I was pretty blunt, and uh, uh, and then once I finished the letter and again calmed down a bit, I, I ended my letter by saying that uh, further, as a tax preparer of two hundred with two hundred fifty clients who sees to it that millions of tax dollars are accurately and timely paid each year, I find your letter insulting. So then I uh, have a contact with Forbes, uh, who uh, does a blog for them, and, and I sent that, that reporter uh, a letter. I, I, sent a look up, I sent the reporter a copy of what I received and my letter back to the uh, IRS commissioner, uh, which I did put in an envelope and mail off to him in the national office in Washington, D.C. And uh, the reporter thought it was, one, a good issue. It might affect 21,000 similar people. But then with a little Internet investigation, I found hundreds of people are just incensed, these preparers who try to do a good job getting a, uh, a letter with that kind of tone to it. Um, so she was good enough to throw it up on the Forbes website. And um, uh, about two hours later, on the IRS uh, Office of Tax Return Preparers, where all this started from, it's an IRS office in Missouri, uh, they put on their Facebook, believe it or not, they have a Facebook page, that uh, they're going to go back and rethink this because they're getting uh, so many negative comments that uh, they're going to rethink their strategy. So that was heartening. And then this morning I saw it on the official IRS website uh, addressing these types of letters. They also said, hey, no, wait a minute, uh, we've received so much negative feedback that we're going to go back and rethink that. So uh, – uh, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was a uh, kind of an insult to our integrity. Uh, certainly, if they are auditing a return and they think the preparer did some bad, bogus things that are illegal, they should go after that preparer. No, no question about it. But sending a blanket kind of indictment to 21,000 hardworking folks uh, trying to do the best they can, um, I think they crossed the line. You know, it's interesting. They they really do have a big charge and great pressure giving on to them by uh, Congress. It- closes tax gap. And uh, just as a a side note, I used to be an IRS agent many years ago. And recently I was up at one of the offices chatting with the the agents. And a couple years ago, Congress authorized, you know, additional that $10 billion to hire additional uh, IRS agents. And and I asked them, I said, well, where's all the people? You know, and and he says, uh, we're afraid to hire anybody. 
And I said, why is that? It says, well, because as soon as we start hiring, we're afraid Congress will cut our budget again. So. <laughs> Hey, uh, Ron, we have just a couple minutes here. Do you have any other uh, experiences about uh, the IRS recently and uh, things that have been going on there? Do you you feel that overall there's a tone of them getting a little bit more aggressive? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well, absolutely. I mean, they're trying to collect more revenue. The IRS commissioner went on CNN TV and and said, hey, we're going to use all the tax repairs and leverage off them. We're going to give them additional tasks, additional forms to fill out and make them do our work for us. The problem is they're not paying us to do that. We're an advocate for our clients and trying to keep everybody compliant and out of trouble. And the commissioners decided to uh, involuntarily sign us up to do additional tasks. Uh, In addition, they've imposed a whole slew of penalties that if we miss something, uh, uh, certainly uh, inadvertently or uh, intentionally, we should be penalized. But when we miss things unintentionally, there are many forms and schedules we're supposed to fill out where uh, a mistake is a $10,000 penalty, even if it didn't cost the government any taxes. And that's just, that keeps me up at night. That uh, is amazing. Also, I was just going to say, also, I, I've had a client, a gentleman who's given me permission to mention him. Uh, you can read all about it at www.donsigner.com. That's donsigner.com. Uh, the IRS and uh, General Motors, he alleges, uh, colluded together to uh, ha- get him to lose his BM franchise by abusive auditing. And there, he has plenty of evidence of that. If anybody wants to f- get a feel for the tone of the IRS and what they're doing inside with certain political agendas, uh, I highly encourage them to look at uh, DonSigner.com. It's, well, that, uh, it's a tough that, world out there. That, that's an interesting uh, you know, interesting story. I'm sure our listeners will be interested to find out what else went. I understand Don eventually went, won that case. And uh, after recruiting your help and uh, got all the way up to Congress, and uh, they got overturned what, what need to be done. So, hey, Ron, it's been a pleasure having you today here on, on the show. And uh, for more information, how do they contact you? Oh, well, we're at uh, Greenstein Rogoff Olson, 510-797-8661. And our website's www.groco.com. Ron Cohen, partner with uh, Groco. And uh, we appreciate you being here. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. Well, we've been visiting today with uh, two individuals. Ron Cohen recently went through his experience with the IRS uh, in trying to encroach on the profession of uh, preparing income tax returns. Right, and we've had Kevin Schneider of Pacific Justice Institute, who's also uh, spoke to us about government encroachment on individual rights. You know, it's really interesting out there. I guess government is starting to expand and get bigger. And they're thinking, you know, what else can we do? You know, is there is there another role that we can play in the individual's life? And with the elections of 2012, I'm sure more media coverage is going to cover some of these government and en- en- the encroachments that we've discussed today. Well, you know, I, I, I think I think it's all it's all playing up to this. I, I think this will come out as a uh, as a role in the political debates and as you get close to presidential elections, you know, the philosophy of which direction we go. But, you know, one thing that, that Kevin brought out is, um, you know, we talk about the Occupy movement and you've seen them all across the U.S. And, um, and, and so there's both good and bad, okay? The, the good is that you do have a right to express your opinion of freedom of speech. But then on the other side, if, as you express your freedom of speech, you don't have a right 
to encroach upon the rights of others. Right. The businesses have been affected in the surrounding areas. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people work for these businesses. Their jobs have been affected, might get laid off if if uh, the business goes under from failure to have enough income to support themselves. So I could I can understand how um, this I do agree with with the movement and their right, and also w- with their dissatisfaction with government today. Um, there is, a, you know, there's a lot of young kids out there that can't find a job after going to college, and so this is real difficult for them. It's an interesting world that we live in, by any means. It's so, but but nevertheless, it's also a constant reminder too that, you know, as we go through life, we need to make sure that we're protecting our right for freedom of expression while not encroaching upon the rights of other people. Right. I agree. I agree. So um, anything that Congress is dealing with, Alan, any insights that you have with the 2012 election coming up? Well, I don't know. It looks like they decided not to do a balanced budget by cutting spending dramatically this year. And the stock markets can speak to that effect. But, uh, you know, I, I think as we look out into the future, we're, one thing we're going to see, we still have this looming federal deficit out there. We're, we're just in in, in in impasse in terms of saying that we have any uh, any solution. But on the, on the bright side, I went to a venture capital conference this last week, and they're looking at 2012 as actually being a very good year. Really, um, even with the with the uncertainty of not only American fiscal responsibility but also European, uh, they feel that it's going to be a better year. You know, while the dark clouds loom over the economy and the federal deficit, one thing that continues to go on is innovation. And these venture capitalists and the entrepreneurs are they're working together to continue to fund companies and to uh, bring us exciting and new technology. So change will continue to be in the works. As uh, even as we face these day-to-day challenges in there. Well, it's glad to hear some light and some hope at the end of this bleak, dark tunnel. (laughs) But, you know, and and I think the point is when we see that there's not something right out there, we need to step back and say, you know, do we really agree with this? Is this inside of us to say we're going to just go along with this or do we need to stand up and fight for what is right? Yes. And I, I, I believe strongly that every one of us has a right to express their freedom. You know, right. Freedom of expression here. That's one of the premises that this country was founded upon, the right. rights of the individual. First Amendment right is freedom of speech. So, uh, well, it, and it's been good today to, to have you here, Nadine. And Thanks for having me, Alan. Thank you. And uh, also with uh, the insight of, of Ron Cohen and Kevin Schneider. And, uh, but this is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life and what defines success? Stay tuned and join us next week.